Welcome to Month One, Part Two, where we continue to chat with Monique and Helen and hear about their journey and all of their questions. On this episode, we'll chat about head preferences, reflux, burping, feedings, the differing opinions you get, and hip dysplasia. What are you waiting for? Let's get started. Before we get started, I wanted to introduce you to my online membership, the Baby Play Academy. With over 250 purposeful play ideas from birth to walking, masterclasses on rolling, crawling, walking and baby sign language, bonus extras, webinars from paediatric experts and tummy time and sensory play PDFs, over 150 frequently asked questions at your fingertips and my favourite, on-hand support from my team of physio, OT and speech as well as hundreds of other parents in our online support forum. It is everything you need to play, connect and reduce the anxiety around development in that first year and a half of your baby's life. Come and check it out at www.babyplayacademy.com. I would like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the traditional lands of the Wajak people of the Noongar Nation. I recognise their continued connection to the land and waters of this beautiful place and acknowledge that they never ceded sovereignty. I pay my respect to the elders, both past, present and future. Hey mum, it's time for Baby Vanta. I've been really mindful of making sure Gio has his head in different ways and I know that's something that you're going to ask about them holding their head in a certain way when they're on the back. And I'm quite mindful that they can get like a flat spout on their head. Well, you're about 50,000 steps ahead of most parents because they don't know that. (laughs) Yeah. It's not like it's not something you think about in the first six weeks, like my baby's head shape. It's usually when they, you know, start, you start to hold them sitting upright and they have a bit better head control and you look down, you're like, oh, why is their head a little bit flat on one side? So all, so all babies are kind of born with a head preference. And so that means that they have a preference to turn their head to one side. This is usually comes about from being in the womb and being big and the womb being tight and being sort of stuck in one position in the last few weeks. Lots of bubs will just get out into the world and start turning their head, but some bubs keep that head preference. Or sometimes if you're like me, even though I'm a pediatric physio, get out and everything's kind of set up to make the head preference worse. Like the change table is (laughs) looking to the left to her brother and the TV that her brother wants to watch is left. And even when it's not on, it's still this big black thing against a white wall that's really Mm. intriguing. Or when I hold her, she's looking to the left. And so sometimes without even knowing it, and even when you know about head preferences and flattening, you unintentionally can like exacerbate or make that head preference stay around. And then what happens is because they're so little, they have this special reflex called an ATNR reflex, which means that they kind of look like they're, when they're turning to one side, their arms out straight and they look like they're kind of shooting a bow and arrow. And then when they turn the other way, the other arm goes out and shoots straight. And that, that reflex is really beneficial for lots of reasons, like developing, you know, your eye tracking and your head control and other things like that. But it means that they kind of they can't hold their head in the middle, mm. and so if they have a head preference, they'll kind of get stuck on one side. And because they're so moldable, because when bubs are traditionally, you know, like come through a vaginal birth, they want their skull to be quite flexible and moldable yeah. because they got to fit through that small the opening. Canal, yeah, yeah. 
great memories. Yeah. Uh, they, so traditionally, like their skull will be moldable, and then over the first two three months, it kind of becomes a little bit less moldable, and then less moldable after six months, and then but it really grows rapidly for the brain as well. Yeah. So the brain's going to grow a lot in those first six, 12, 24 months for, and up to five years, but the most rapid growth occurs in that first six months. So their skull's moldable. So if they have that preference and it sort of sticks around, they can get a little bit of flattening. Yeah. There are other reasons. Do they end up getting like stiff neck at all if they're always looking to one side? Can they? So they can, like if they're kind of like always on that side, they can get tight. Sometimes they get tight in utero as well, or okay. sometimes when you're giving birth, whether it be vaginally or via C-section, sometimes the way that they, you know, try and navigate them out can almost have a little bit of a stretch one way and then like naturally they'll tighten up to protect. So there's different ways that that tight neck can come mm. on. If you do notice that your little one has a head preference, you can start the like turning to the other way and mm. trying to focus on that and and turning. We turn the bassinet around. Yep, yep. flip them <laughs> the upside down. And my husband works. this morning woke up and he's like, he's with his head the other way, <laughs> like cheering. Yeah, yep. So yeah, yeah so. like sometimes those things will work. And if you notice it really early, that will work. And yeah. sometimes when they get kind of stuck in that pattern, remember I talked about the brain being so plastic, but it can be plastic not helpful either it's this is when it's like yeah. they're not helpful it's like oh I'm always this way I'm just going to work on this way exactly so they like sometimes you do if you're noticing that it's still around by like that seven to eight weeks that's when I would recommend checking with a peds physio yeah. because they can go okay which muscle in the neck is tight and what specific stretches can I give you and it's not just about the stretches it's like it is a common myth that everyone goes oh it's tightness we need to stretch it Kind of, but you also need to strengthen it. Strengthen, So it's yeah. all about like strengthening into the other direction. And so often that no matter what type of health professional you see, if it's not progressing, it's it's usually because you forgot the, the strengthening or the using it in the other direction yeah. as well. Yeah. I've found it has been relatively manageable to turn Seb's head one way or the other. Like if I think, oh, he's been looking to the right for a long time, I'm moving to the left. But should he be able to have his face up? Like should he be able to have his head straight like yeah, his nose centered no not at, so the the reflex that atnr bow and arrow reflex will prevent him from being able to hold in the midline and around that you know 8 to 12 weeks you'll see them be able to hold hold in the middle that's when they it doesn't mean that the reflex has gone away it means that their strength and control has developed enough that it's sort of overriding it now and they're figuring out their body and they can hold in the middle and that's when they'll start to bring their hands to the middle as well and their hand to their mouth and they'll start figuring out that their hands are part of their body too. It's funny because all newborn photos, they're all got their head in the I middle. I know. It's like a, it's like a, it's unrealistic expectation, exactly. all those cute ones where they're on their tummy with their head like turned to the side and they're like four photos shopped together because exactly. they can't hold themselves <laughs> in that position. So often in the newborn photos where they hold their head in the middle, they use a technique called nesting where they create like a little nest using the muslin wraps. Oh, underneath their head. Yeah, and so that will help them hold their head yeah. in the middle and is a really nice way when they're a little bit older or even now for refluxy babies, even at about a month, of re like you can nest them, which will help, you know, how we talk about with reflux that you have to hold them upright. Yeah. Sometimes it's just a slight incline so mm. you can use the – rolled up towel to make a little nest which lifts their head and their chest up which helps the reflux. And there's some of those fancy bassinets that have the exact yeah. incline. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of fancy bassinets. There, there's lots of fancy bassinets out there. On that sort of note of reflux or being uncomfortable with gas bubbles, that kind of thing, 
have you guys with your babies had the issue where what seems to be a relatively, I guess, small burp or fart or something that comes after, you know, feeding or something like that has caused so like full on screaming? Like, is it normal to be that discomforted by gas or is I, that a concern? I've noticed Gio, if he has a little burp, but there's a little bit of reflux yeah. that comes up, that's when it upsets him. But it's, generally it it's, doesn't. They're also still so young that that digestive tract, so there's the tube that connects their throat to their stomach is really floppy. That's normal. So they're meant to be like, you know, soft and pliable at this age. And there's a little valve that connects that tube to the stomach, which is also a little bit flexible. And you will notice that they get spit up at this time. And sometimes if it is with a burp, they can it cannot feel very nice. It's if they if that continues and they and you can't settle that distress, then I'd recommend checking in with somebody. But if you find that it's like momentarily and then he's like, okay, again, sometimes just Seb in his response. Yeah, he seems to get really, really, really uncomfortable generally after feeding, but it can be sort of other times. Mm. Uh, and he seems to get really like sobbing or, or screaming even sometimes and then he'll burp or fart and then he'll be like, and then it kind of like yeah. the breathing settles down and he settles down, but he just gets so distressed before yeah. actually having that. That reminds me of late pregnancy and my yes. reflux. Yes. I was with a few pregnant friends last night at dinner and they were talking about the reflux. I was like, oh, I forgot about that. That was yes. horrendous. Yes. It's <laughs> so not, it gives you empathy for it that. Does, yeah. It does. And also because their systems are still developing. I think that if you are finding that it's impacting on his, like if it, if it's if it's not sort of going away or if it's something that's sticking around, that checking in with a lactation consultant might mm. be helpful. They're like with breastfeeding, from my understanding, with the latch, like there shouldn't be much air going in, and but with bottle feeding, that's different because they will get a little bit of air because it's it's a different way of feeding and the suction is different. Yeah. But that would be something I would suggest, like check in if it's continuing and if he's distressed and you can't settle that distress. Sometimes, like if they just need a fart, they <laughs> sometimes if they just have gas, they might. Some babies might like to let you know a little bit more yeah. about it, and yeah. others are quite happy to be like, "Oh yeah, there it is." And so that's the like the person, and that's the hard thing to figure out. But if you are finding that you can't help him get it out and he's really distressed, then checking in with someone for some guidance would be helpful. Yeah. And going off that, burping at nighttime really yes. <laughs> is something that Geo's like, nah, not burping, <laughs> not keen. But during the day, he seems to burp fine. Yeah. So do I he, have to actually If he's settling, yeah. you don't have to. There's no hard and fast rule. I, yeah. I think that's a, a bit of a, an old myth that you have to burp them after every feed. And some babies you will, but not all babies. So if he's settling at night and he seems happy to go to sleep and there's no disruption and he doesn't seem gassy and everything's fine, I'll just go with it. Yeah. <laughs> Let sleeping Save babies yourself. sleep. Yeah. Save yourself. <laughs> <Leave your time>. <laughs> <laughs> Please go to sleep. Very <laughs> uh, good. God, we've gotten to a lot. I know. I think it's good. We're Do you feel like well. it's good chat? Yeah, absolutely. Helpful chat? Yeah. yeah, definitely. You guys, have you had any mother's groups so far? Not I yet. I think they both start in the next week or so. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, have you like met up with other mums of bubs and do they 
do you find that they have similar questions to you do you at the moment? A lot of the oh Helen's probably the only mum that I have. Similar age though. A similar age baby. It's funny because when you're talking to friends that have babies of all different ages, everyone's at a different stage. I think that's why this podcast is amazing because we're kind of working our way through month by month by month. Yes, and hopefully new mums can be like, I can start here, but if exactly. you, know, you don't find it till your baby's five months, you'll have something relevant. Yeah, that exactly. The St. John of God. Subi Babies. Yeah, Subi Babies by the Lake has been quite good because there's been a lot of mums similar age and it's been yeah. a lot about gas. <laughs> yeah, lots of gas feeding. Did you ever think you would talk this much about fighting? No. <laughs> it's like you said, like cheering when, oh, that was a good one. Oh, well done. Good work. Good boy. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I guess a lot of the stuff is around feeding and that gas. Yeah. And, it's because yeah. it's like the biggest bit right now. Like the exactly. play stuff is on the back burner because they aren't awake very long and you're adjusting to you know, feeding yeah. con- constantly and your yeah. supplies changing and like, you know, things yeah. are always changing. I think I've been surprised how exhausting it is to feed. Like at, at the end of at the end of a feed, it might be coming towards the end of Seb's wake window, but also I'm sitting there like dying. It's <laughs> like this is it is really hard work to just keep being to try and have enough water and food and everything. Yeah. myself to keep doing that as well. Yeah, and IBLC says that it does take a little while to establish feeding, like four to six weeks. So you're still only in that establishment phase, which has – there'll be lots of – I know that feeling of like, I just feel like I don't mm. And, the, yeah. you know, that feeling like Definitely you've just got stuff that. everywhere and yeah. your supply is still building and changing and, like, that's that's tricky because you want to you try and give – the most sucking opportunity to stimulate more supply, but you're also exhausted. Yeah, and so this, this and then in the back of your mind, you're like, now I need to stimulate you, so you will sleep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and there's, uh, there's only the right way for your family. Yeah, so that's the tricky, tricky thing is you get lots of opinions on different things of what to do, and, and you've got to pick the right way that's for your family. She's always like, yeah, which I think comes know. back to one of the things we sort of vaguely mentioned at the beginning in terms of every single specialist, midwife, lactation consultant seems to say something different or like the complete opposite of what the last one said. And we were both similar. We both were at St. John of God and were there for like a week Mm. uh, and, you know, various complications in our births. And then, you know, someone will say, oh, come try this. And then the next evening or, you know, the, the, the following morning, someone will say, oh, what are you doing there? Like do this instead. That's not the right way to latch or try that hold or try this hold. Welcome to parenthood. Yeah. You get all different opinions and you yeah. don't know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> you should feel really good about yourself. It's like you come out and you're like, oh, I don't know what to say. Just need to get home and get in my own space. But yes, it's it it can be mind boggling and confusing I and know, frustrating. And, and then the child health nurse comes to your house and says something different again. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, Everyone's experience is so different as well. Yeah. You can be in the same hospital, have the same midwives come through and yeah. Being Feeding is, you're establishing feeding. They feed for a long time. They're working on developing their muscles in their jaws and how they use those to most effectively feed. And that's that's a skill that they're learning. So you're learning and they're learning and it's exhausting. And then I always have this special spot in my heart for mums that choose to express and 
then bottle feed the expressed milk and then put them to sleep and then express and then like I feel like they're awake for even more time Absolutely, and it's exhausting. But it is exhausting because you're trying to get all these nutrients into your body and, and, you know, and food to feed. But yeah, then you're awake all night and adjusting to the sleep deprivation. Navigating that Mm. broken sleep is the number one thing. I think that's the shock to the system as a new mum because it's just not something you can prepare for at all. No, everyone can tell you, but it's like, oh yeah, really, sure. (laughs) Yeah, but it's it is bizarre how quickly you can become accustomed to that broken sleep and you just become a delirious mess somewhat. <laughs> but you can become more fun. <laughs> Crazy. <In> that delirium. <laughs> Crazy delirium. <laughs> you yeah. can start an Instagram. Yeah. No, that's what I did. I think it's what you're doing too, Monique. Oh because yeah. you do, you have all this time on your hands and often you're like, Well, I've got to do something with this time. Absolutely. And, but you don't have to either. You can just relax. But I found that I needed to do something with my time. The, not the first time. The first time was not terrific for me. I said to my husband last night, please go for number three. And he was like, oh, my God, Nicole, no. Why? Do you not remember? And I said, I just feel like my our experience with Claire was so, it was so brilliant because I loved it. Like I loved everything about it. it like it was hard, but it was it, it, I really enjoyed it, whereas I feel robbed with Will because I was not in a good place and it was really hard for me and I feel like I didn't get to enjoy those moments and I feel like I just experienced that again. And he was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, if we have a third, we could call her Penny, Penny Pates, and then we could cheer. And he's now the whole family is like, yeah, Penny, but we haven't convinced him. There's no, he said we could get another dog or something. No, he didn't say that either. Throwing him under the bus. (laughs) That's recorded now. (laughs) <laughs> cut this bit <laughs> but yeah it's hard it is hard and it's hard sometimes to know that you're not in that good place either and I was in that stubborn not refusal of not wanting or willing to see that but I would probably you know when you get your form and you're like I know which boxes you think I'm gonna tick and I'm gonna tick these other ones <laughs> I would probably say don't be stoic go and chat to someone and the sooner you do it the, yeah. the more the the easier and yeah. more enjoyable things will be. Absolutely. I think definitely asking the questions as they come up to professionals is the best advice. A trusted professional. Sometimes Trust, trusted you find, profession- yeah. <laughs> sometimes you find someone you don't gel with and that's yeah. okay. Like that is okay to go, actually, I know you know your stuff. And I know you're that's really good at it. That's not going to work for me. Yeah. But I just, don't, I just don't gel with you. And that's okay. You don't have to. You can find someone that does gel with you and that you do have that connection with and I think that's probably the biggest foundation for a a relationship with health professionals is having that trust and making sure that it is right for your family because just because they're an expert doesn't mean that they're right for you. Yeah, I think that's one of of the books that I read is by an economist rather than like a child person and it's all saying and it's basically her entire approach was this is what the data says your baby might fall into this percentile make the choice that works for you. Mm. So I kind of read two main books in my last few months of pregnancy and one was like, this is my method and you should do this. And it was quite lecturing in a way. Yeah, prescriptive. And there were some bits where I was like, yeah, makes sense, makes sense. But the actual style of it was a bit, not aggressive, but yeah, lecturing. Whereas the second (laughs) one was more like, here's all the information I've been able to find on this topic. This is a set of, you know, this is what I draw out of the data because that's what she does. This is what I draw out of the data and it seems as though the trends say 
could be a good idea, could be a good idea, could be a good idea, probably don't do that. And then at the end of the chapter, there's like a little there's like a little summary at the end of the chapter of like these are what the data has been able to support on this topic and this is not supported and this is actually recommended against. And so you're able to kind of go, oh, that makes sense and there's a reason behind it and I still have a bit of flexibility choice. and choice and autonomy myself rather than just like so many, like of, this. Yeah, yeah. so many of the books are like, this is the only thing that works. And then you try something and it doesn't work and you're like, oh, God, what's wrong? And you, you, know, you almost lose faith yeah. in because you're like, oh, it's the third thing I've tried and yeah. it doesn't work. And like there's 85 burping positions I've tried. Yeah. But yeah, it is, it's, it's, so, it's so overwhelming and tricky. Yeah. But you sound like you found something that gels with your mm. approach. Yeah. And remembering to cheer yourself on when you find something that works. Yes. But it might not work tomorrow. No, yeah. <laughs> I remember yeah. like washing the same suit and like setting and like finding the time. Like, okay, everything is exactly the same and it didn't work. He has certain outfits he does not yes, wear at night time because they're his party outfits and he is not going to sleep if he wears those outfits. And now I have to go and buy a whole new wardrobe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. It is. It is. It is. It is sometimes a bit of a guessing game, but you have the best data to make that guess Absolutely. As, as their parent. Yeah. So do we have any other questions? One of the things that I've tried using in these first months is ring Seb so that I don't have to necessarily have the big pram. I've got a an ergo carrier with all the Velcro and the clips and everything, which appears to me to be more secure. But because I had a Caesar, I actually haven't worn it with – I practiced putting it on just mm. so I knew how to use it, but I haven't worn it with him in it because I'm worried about where it sits with the yep. pressure on my incision point. But I've also got a sling type where you tie on and it can tie up higher. So basically I'm wondering, is the sling safe enough to use and can we kind of wear it out and about or is is there a time frame on when you should use different types of carriers? Are they safe for neck, hips, etc.? So, first of all, with if you have had a Caesar and you are worried about your scar, definitely check in with a women's health physio because they can be really amazing at helping you if you do have scar pain. Mm. So, that would be my first recommendation. The second is that baby wearing is amazing for regulation, connection, and giving you two free hands. And as a mum of a baby with reflux and an older toilet lot on the go, it was my saviour. The the sling carriers, like the cotton carriers can be really helpful or the, the stretchy material carriers can be helpful. I'd probably recommend going to, here in Perth, we have the Baby Wearers Association where they have lots of different carriers and they can actually help you put your carrier on and, and fit it to your body shape and help you figure out how you can do it yourself. And there are organisations around Australia and I know around the world that are have very similar similar ways to help you. So take your carrier to a local baby wearing consultant or the baby wearers organization and they can help you fit that to make sure that it's fitted right. They will show you how to put your little one in a position where their legs are in an M position. So their bum is lower than their hips, which is really important for their hip development. Remember we talked about that skull being really moldable or the hips are really moldable too. And that's why we don't want to swaddle their legs tightly together or when we carry them in the carrier, have their legs sort of hanging and tight together because that that together position isn't good for hip development. It long for like for an extended period of time with swaddling or carrying usually or having them in that position for an extended period of time. That actually reminds me of something else I was wondering. When it comes to sleeping bags or swaddles or even outfits and nappies, 
how do you know when they're ready for the next size and is there an issue of it being too tight? Like, for example, with a nappy, if it's not tight enough, everything comes out. But then we noticed when we were trying to figure out, is he ready for the two after the one? And there was like some basically just red marks of it being tight. But mm. then the next one seemed massive. And yeah. so don't forget know. to pull the bits out. From the nappy, you know, when you open it That's around. That's one the, of the best bits of advice yes. I got in the hospital. <laughs> yes, like full, because often, like, you the don't. Frill bit. Yeah, the frill bits yeah. in the nappy, don't forget to pull them out. But often, you know that they're ready for the next size up when they are actually leaking through as well. So, like, they are either you're getting the red marks, they have the weight ranges for the nappies too. But yeah, they're usually getting the red marks, or you find that they are leaking through them because they're not big enough. And then it's kind of. Don't wait Tricky. for the great punami like yeah. Geo had because that is my like mark where I was like, right, next size nappy. <laughs> the 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 I feel like the punani's always happen when you have no spare clothes as well. Yeah. Like it's just ironic. I feel like Alanis Morissette should put that in this Exactly. And then the bathroom sink becomes your baby holder when yes. you're trying to work out how to get rid of all Love the poo. The shower. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, it is. We talk so much about poo and butts and burps and all the things you never thought That's would actually month. come in regular yeah. conversation. Yeah. But yeah, so the character, like I would, sometimes if you're not sure, the Baby Rose Association, which is free to attend, can be I've really helpful. I've written that down yeah. because we're at exactly the same point. I've got the stretchy one and I've got the more firm yeah. one and I tried it on the other day and I'm like, I do not know how this works. No, and sometimes it just helps build confidence. But the other thing is people always say, what baby carrier do you recommend? Or what what should I put them in? And it does, it depends because everyone is a different shape in their body. Everyone is a different size and everyone's baby is a different size too. So it it's really hard to be prescriptive. Like I have my favorite brands and things like that, but it might not work for everyone. So someone like the Baby Wearers Organization Primo organisation that can Amazing. help you find what works for you. I'm going to organise that this afternoon. Yes. <laughs> That's so good. Just going back to hip things, yeah. my family's got a little bit of a history of different hip issues. Um, my dad's actually going for a hip replacement in a couple of weeks. And when he went to the specialist, they actually said, you've had this since birth, this mm. issue, and I don't know how you've put up with it all your life. Because he's, he's from the country. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he's tough. He's a farmer. with it. <laughs> We will hear references of all my farm things throughout these episodes, I'm sure. But I did notice in the hospital his hip was clicking a little bit and it is something that we asked the paediatrician um, and he said he did the check and said it was fine. I asked the child health nurse when she came to the home visit and she checked and said it's fine. But it's just something in the back of my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fair enough. With did regards to hip issues and who the best professional to see about that would be. Did your Pediatric, what's the pediatric doctor? Is that the right phrase? Pediatrician. Pediatrician. The pediatrician. Did the pediatrician ask you to get a referral? No. Oh, that's weird because Josh had very, my husband had very, very, very mild dysplasia as a boy and never needed the brace or anything, but was given some exercises when he was a young child. Okay. And that was enough for the pediatrician to give me a referral. We have to go yeah. in another couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So there's a lot of advocacy work going on for from Healthy Hips Australia and from professionals around because yeah. it, let me explain a little bit more. Development display, developmental dysplasia of the hips is when, so if you think of your thigh bone coming up and being in the middle of that cup of your pelvis, so yes. that, that cup's called the acetabulum. Babies are born with really shallow acetabulums and over time, or cups, and over time these deepen. So 
it's 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 normal to be like there's different normal numbers for a bub that's just been born to a bub at six weeks, at 12 weeks, at six months, and also the hip changes over time. So it's all very what we call cartilage, which is something that you might have an ultrasound for because it's very soft and moldable to start with, and then by six months things start to turn to bone, and so you'd use an X-ray. But if you if you have – so what hip dysplasia is is when that cup is too shallow – that the ball, the head of the femur, doesn't sit very well, and so it's a it's a flat cup. Guys, you can hear Seb in the background; he's just having a feed. So hungry boys. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you have a history of hip dysplasia in your family, then that might be something that your pediatrician or GP or child health nurse flags to follow up yeah. with a scan to see if there is something happening. So basically sometimes there's different risk factors for babies to develop hip dysplasia, that that shallow cup. So if you've had a family history of hip dysplasia, if you've had twins or triplets because lots of babies in there, there's not much space to move, or baby was breached so they're in a different position, then bub will usually be monitored really closely. And there's other risk factors like firstborn, which, you know, everyone has a firstborn baby, female, too tight swaddling, you know, it, it, lots of risk factors are because there isn't much room. So if your baby's really big and you're really small or, you know, there's lots of different things. Or female, because as a mum, our hormones affect the, our female babies. But, and that, you know, the, the laxity of the joints. So there's different, hip dysplasia can be just a shallowness of the cup or it can actually be the head of the femur sitting outside the cup as well. So there's different severities and... Okay. The clicking and the clunking can be a sign and checking in with your GP is a really good thing or if you notice there's uneven creases on their thigh or their groin or probably my favourite test for parents and for child health nurses, I would say, is when you're changing their nappy, you bring their knees up to the level of their hips and you sort of open up their hips and if they go this, if they don't go the same distance, if one's much stiffer than the other one, mm. definitely check in. Okay. But if they feel like they're nice and they go the same distance and that's a really good a good mm. thing too but yeah a dislocated hip or a, or a hip that's out of the socket or moves in and out of the socket will feel very different to a shallow socket mm-hmm. and sometimes they can be fine at six weeks and 12 weeks and they develop it more towards the six months okay. like called developmental hip dysplasia yeah that is why healthy hips australia says keep checking in and, and don't just on healthy go, hips Australia, yeah. do they have guidelines like when you're changing nappies and things like the way you should lift their legs so it doesn't hurt their hips? No, like that, not, not necessarily. Really. Some people like say, you know, don't pull or go. Yeah, I think that if you just remember, every baby is different. Every baby feels differently. They don't have guidelines about that. It's just if they do, if they're in a cast or like okay, or in the yeah. in the brace. But generally, it's just that that really, you know, like let's bend our knees up and lift. Probably don't want to pull from their ankles. Yeah, like, I know my mum would. That's, uh, I'm know. sure that all that happens to all of us. <laughs> yes, sure, I would, but I wouldn't recommend it now. So yeah, so the hip dysplasia is a bit of a tricky topic. It's really hard to describe talking and not visually. Yes, but there's different risk factors, and I'll link the Healthy Hips website in the description so that you can go to there and have a look. But if you have concerns, just talk to your GP. Yeah, amazing. Cool. Well. I feel like we have only skimmed the surface today with those questions and I'm we're only a month in and already I know it's like <laughs> so many questions don't worry we'll be back next month with Monique and Helen and you can submit all your own questions by sending me a DM on Instagram Nicole underscore kids physio 
And if you're looking for more, we do have a free newborn play guide and the milestone guide on our website. Just head to www.babyplayacademy.com to download these. And you can connect with your little one through the joy of play. Or Thank just you looking so at each other. Much. Chatting. No, thanks for <laughs> it's coming. It's been amazing. I, I'm so like surprised that you both are here at a <laughs> month in. I would have been two hours late or like forgotten completely. So I think you guys are doing really, really Cheer well. Cheer ourselves on. Yes, I think it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. You've done amazing. But yeah, and thanks so much for coming today. Thank you. I wanted to introduce you to my online membership, the Baby Play Academy. With over 250 purposeful play ideas from birth to walking, masterclasses on rolling, crawling, walking and baby sign language, bonus extras, webinars from paediatric experts and tummy time and sensory play PDFs, over 150 frequently asked questions at your fingertips and my favourite, on-hand support from my team of physio, OT and speech as well as hundreds of other parents in our online support forum. It is everything you need to play, connect and reduce the anxiety around development in that first year and a half of your baby's life. Come and check it out at www.babyplayacademy.com. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Baby Banter. If you've enjoyed it or if you have more questions, let's continue the conversation over on my Instagram, Nicole underscore Kids Physio. You can also check out NicoleKidsPhysio.com for lots of goodness as well as the freebies mentioned today. Do you know a new parent or have a family member with questions? I would love it if you could share this podcast with them. Don't forget to leave a rating and review and I'll see you next time on Baby Banter. Hey mum, it's time for Baby Banter.